you know, Christ died for me, Christ died for you. Um, that's how he showed the greatest amount of love for us that he possibly could. Thank you again for joining us today. Let me pray for us, and then let's get into God's word. Father, we thank you for your great love and mercy for the rescue that you made to each and every one of us through the sacrifice of your son on the cross. And so, Lord, as we open your word, we invite you to speak into our hearts uh, because we know, Lord, you're the only one that can change us and, Lord, the only one that can help us to go from hopelessness to hope in real life. And so, Lord, um, we come to you now in your most precious name we pray. Amen. So before we uh, get started in the message today, I know that uh, those of you who are regularly part of our church were really disappointed last year because, not just COVID, I mean, I know that's a big thing, but because March Madness didn't happen last year, right? And so uh, this year, I just wanted to show you, we've only had one round, but here's where we're at so far. So these are all people of our church, except for a few out, outlingers there, but uh, Nora Casillas is up at the top, but Nora's in a lot of trouble because she picked Ohio State to go to the Final Four, and they lost early on, and most of you don't really care at all, but I just had to share that, right, because it's an important part of life right now. All right, so here is uh, my first kind of a test for you this morning. I'm going to give you a list of some names, and I want you to tell me what you think these names happen to have in common, all right? So here are the names. Um, Ezra Pound, Robert Hansen, Tokyo Rose, Matahari, Robert Ford, Cassius and Brutus, and Benedict Arnold. So what do you think they all have in common? Traitors, that's right. They're all traitors. They're all backstabbers. I mean, they are your basic villains in history. And if there was one thing that was common among all of them is that the last chapter of the book of their life would say, you know, traitor, failure, and then that would be the end of the story. Now, if you're anything like me, there are periodic times in your life, like there are in my life, where at times it feels like if I were to take a book like this that was my life, that it feels like the last chapter of my life is a failure, that the title of the last chapter of my life at times would say, total failure, end of story. But imagine if you could take this book of your life, and before it goes to publisher, right, that you were given the opportunity to go in and to add another chapter. You can't take away the chapters of your life, but you were able to go back in and you were able to add a chapter to your life, a, a chapter that had a very different title than failure. So today what we're reminded of as we study God's Word together is that when we look to Jesus and when we seek after Jesus and when we turn our whole entire life to Jesus, he's the one that can help make that next chapter in our life very, very different. And so today we're going to talk about a story of complete and total failure, about a guy who saved his own skin, a guy who crumbled under pressure, but because he turned back to Jesus he was rescued from his failure, and that failure, as huge as it was, even as written down as it is, that failure was not the last chapter in his life. So we're in this series entitled Rescue, and it is a series in which we're taking a look at the passion of Christ. In other words, 
the last week of the life of Christ, and we're in Luke 22, 23, and 24 as we study this passage together. And again, we're spending the whole year in the Gospel of Luke, getting to know Jesus better, seeking after Christ so that he can rescue each one of us. So last week as we started this series, we took a look at the, the rescue plan that God had given to us since before the beginning of time, and how Jesus, at a very simple meal, right, he laid out that rescue plan. And what we learned is that to remember the death of Jesus is to remember that we have the power to truly live because of Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to look at a very difficult story. It is Luke chapter 22, and so I want to encourage you to open your Bibles, take out your phone or your tablet, follow along. Those of you who are online, open your Bible, click the Bible tab there. We're going to take a look at a very difficult story that's somewhat familiar to most all of us. We may not know the story, but we're familiar with the failure and we're going to take a look at Peter's betrayal or denial of knowing Jesus Christ. And what makes this story so powerful is that every single one of us can relate. We have all been, Peter, in that courtyard by the fire. We have all, at some time or another in our life, we have denied Jesus. We failed him. But it's what we do with our failure that matters. It's what we do with that, that time or those multiple times in our life. Only Jesus can take the guilt and the shame of our failures and turn it to real hope if we turn back to Jesus Christ. And so the lesson for today is this, that there is always another chapter to be written on our life when we turn back to Jesus and we all need this message today because all of us in our lives, we have failed Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read verses 54 through 62. You follow along. It'll be on the screen as well, but let's study this together. Luke chapter 22. Luke writes this, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated in the firelight, and she looked closely at him, and she said, well, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, well, you're also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. So Jesus has just been betrayed by Judas, and he's been rested in the Garden of Gethsemane. So here's a map of Jerusalem here. There we go. And so here's kind of in the time of Jesus Christ. You can see the temple in that upper right corner there as it sticks up. But that star or asterisk out there, which is outside the city, represents the, this Garden of Gethsemane. It was the place that Jesus and his followers often went to. They would camp out there. They would spend the night. They would hang out there together. 
And so the religious leaders have come outside the city gates, led by Judas, to arrest Jesus Christ there. And all of the disciples have fled Jesus, except apparently Peter. So Luke writes this there again in verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest, and Peter followed at a distance. So he's led to the house of the high priest, and Peter, wanting to know what's going on, maybe even with the words ringing in his ear still about what Jesus said, you know, before the night's over, you're going to betray me. Maybe he's wanting to prove to himself that he's not going to do that. And so Peter is following at a distance. But I need to remind you of something. So last Sunday we talked about the Lord's Supper and the Passover and how Jesus um, turned that into a memorial for him. One of the things we didn't cover last week was the words of the conversation between Peter and between Jesus at that meal. Here's Luke 22, beginning in verse 31. uh, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. You you will deny knowing me. That must have been hard words for Peter to have listened to. But what does Peter declare there? He said, Lord, I would never do that, right? I'd go to prison for you. I would die for you. And so as he's following along, those words are in his ears, and he's wanting to see what's going to happen to Jesus here. So verse 56, or verse 55, And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. Now I think at this point, Peter thinks that he's a man who's strong enough to withstand whatever's going to come his way. Little does he know that very soon, you know, that determination is just going to crumble around him, and he's going to deny Jesus three different times. And it's hard to overestimate the pressure that Peter's under at this place. So denial number one, verse 56. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. So it begins with a servant girl. And she begins to just stare intently at Peter. You ever had somebody just stare at you intently? Turn and pick somebody in the crowd or somebody across your living room and just stare intently at them. Go ahead, do it right now. You can do that. It's allowed. Doesn't it feel a little creepy if somebody just is staring intently at you? You know, she's trying to figure out, do I know this guy or not? And it's almost like she's stating something matter of fact. She's not really even saying it to Peter. It's like she's stating a matter of fact, well, this guy was somebody who was with him. Not even necessarily an accusation. And we have no clue why Peter starts this path of denial. Is it stress? Is it fear? Is it the pressure of other people around him? But he says, woman, I don't know it. He denies him. That word deny means to repudiate, to disown. The sense is that Peter's wanting to make it really clear. I do not know. You're wrong. I don't know this guy. Denial number one. I don't know him. The second denial comes in verse 58. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you're also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. So this time, the accuser 
you know, the girl is saying it to everyone. The accuser now looks directly at Peter. He's like, he's talking to Peter. says, wait a minute, you're, you're wrong. You really were one of them. Um, and Peter's denial is a little bit more um, forceful. I am not. And it's almost like he's wrestling in his mind with the fact that he wants to be there for Jesus, right? He wants to know what's going on. He wants to be there for Jesus. But he's realizing if he's going to stay there longer, um, he's going to have to bend the rules a little bit here because he's going to have to say, oh, I don't really know him because if he does, he could get in real trouble there. It's almost like he's justifying his lying so that he could be there for Jesus Christ. And I think justification is a part of all of our failures. It's easy to justify. It's easy to rationalize. It's easy to give excuse, right? That's just this one time. Nobody else will know. I mean, they're a bunch of hypocrites anyway. I'm so lonely. It won't hurt. I deserve this. I mean, they don't like me anyway. And we justify our way to failure. Peter denies, I am not one of them. That's denial number two. Denial number three is beginning in verse 59. He says, a little later, someone else saw him and said, you're also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. Or about an hour later, there we go, Peter, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied there. He says, man, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Now, about an hour later kind of gives the idea that maybe Peter thinks the pressure is off of him, right? Nothing's happened for a while. Okay, so they, they've finally left it alone. And all of a sudden, this guy, and it says he asserted. And it's like they've gone from, she, the girl's just saying it to everybody, then somebody else is saying it straight to Peter, and now it's like this third person has got him all together. It's like he's all there, and he's got some evidence, Right? You're a Galilean. You know, you can't hide where you're from, right? You can't hide where you grew up. You know, you can know by whether you call it pop or coke or you call it lunch or you call it dinner or your accent or the kind of clothes you wear, right? I mean, you can't hide. You can't hide that you're from Galilee for some reason. And so this person has this evidence there against, G, against Peter right there. And Peter's denial in Luke, in which he says there, um, man, I um, don't know what you're talking about. It's almost like he's just kind of, you know, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. But if you read Mark and Luke's account of this particular denial, what does Peter do there? Peter, in order to prove that he doesn't know Jesus at all, he calls curses down upon himself. He cusses to be able to just demonstrate, I really don't know this guy at all. He denies him. But in the moment... He says those words of denial. Everything changes. I mean, we can go from anger and denial to a realization and a devastation in just a moment. He goes on, verse 60. Peter replies, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, 
you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. I mean, Peter goes from the fog of the stress and the struggle of that particular moment to clarity in his failure there in an instant. It says, then he remembered the words of the Lord. And with the sound, you know, the crowing of the rooster, and with the look of Jesus. And as we think about the look of Jesus to Peter, probably they're bringing Jesus now out of the trial, the high priest's house, take him to the Sanhedrin now. And so maybe he's walking by and he looks, and Peter sees that look. And it, I don't want you to think that that's a look of, oh, good grief, Peter, here you are, you've messed up again, you failed again, you're such a loser. No, it's, it's a look of almost empathy from Jesus, almost of understanding and compassion. And when we sin, and the rooster crows or Jesus looks at us, I want you to picture that look not of condemnation or judgment against us, but of understanding and of empathy. But with those final moments there, that chapter comes to a close. And at least in Peter's mind, his failure seems final, right? Because the next time he sees Jesus is his limp body being taken down from the cross and put in the tomb. So Peter wept bitterly. So what do you think led to Peter's failure? I mean, I think it's important to think that through because, again, we're all Peter, right? We've all failed. I think we need to learn from our mistakes. I think maybe for Peter it's overconfidence, you know? He said, I'd never do that. And sometimes we feel as if, you know, I would, I, I would never be like Peter. And a little humility goes a long way. I think sometimes the pressure of other people causes us to make choices we shouldn't make, right? I mean, even though these were strangers, peer pressure hits all of us. I think it's the perceived threat or loss, right? He's in this courtyard, and if he's associated with Jesus, I mean, you know, the Romans take insurrection very seriously. Um, and so he, he, there was a real threat to his life. And I think even loneliness, 
None of the gospel writers say anything about any of the other disciples being there with him. You know, when we're alone, I mean, it, it, it makes our ability to fall or failure even more significant in our lives. But the real question again is, because we're all Peter, what do we do with our failure? You know, will this be the last chapter of our life, this failure? Now, it's important for us to recognize that there is another character during this same time period that failed or, you know, betrayed Jesus. That was Judas Iscariot, right? For 30 pieces of silver. He goes to the religious authorities and he basically sells Jesus Christ out. But then when Peter, or when Judas realizes his, his failure there, because he was so overcome with his remorse for what he did to Jesus, it was like he lost all hope. He couldn't go on. Here's, here's how Matthew tells about what happened to Judas in Matthew 27. It says, when Judas, who, was, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Well, what's that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And then he went away and he hanged himself. There's a lot of similarities between Peter and Jesus. Both of them betrayed Jesus. Both of them felt a huge sense of this remorse and regret. It was like they knew, I can't go back and I can't change what I did. I can't take that away. You know, I can't remove that chapter of my life. But it was almost like Judas... Um, he saw what he did, but it was almost like Judas couldn't believe that Jesus was really the Messiah the way Jesus really came about. Judas had something else in mind. You know, he, he saw a king conquering and kicking out the Romans, and when Jesus came as this, you know, humble person, it was almost like for Judas it was too good to be true. He regretted his actions, but he didn't turn back to Jesus with them. He, he didn't think he could, right? And as a result... He, he took his own life. And when you and I live too long with regret and with shame, we feel like, I can't turn back. That feeling is so strong that it's like, I can't write another chapter of my life. It is too hopeless. But with Jesus, there is always another chapter in our life. There is always hope if we turn back to Jesus. And i got to say, this is a hard lesson for me, this whole struggle with this feeling of failure, because I, I, just, I really wrestle with this. Deep inside, it's something that I struggle with greatly, because I know the things that I've done in my life. And those of you who know me, you, you, know, you might say, well, you know, Doug, you're, you're a pastor. You know, you spend all day praying and reading God's Word, except during March Madness, right? But you, you know, you, you are a pastor. You have the hotline to God. And it's like, you know, maybe you believe that or not, but the reality is I have things in my life that I look back with huge sadness. Parts of my life that I wish I could just tear out and not have a part of my life at all. And when I dwell on my past and my mistakes and those failures, it becomes overwhelming. But in Jesus, what I think and feel is simply not true. Because in Jesus Christ, He has taken me from darkness to light. 
from being a prisoner of sin to bring, being a child in his family. He has not condemned me, but he has forgiven me. And I have to remind myself that of every single day. And you see, we're all like Peter. We know what it's like to not stand up for Jesus when others are condemning him or fail to acknowledge him in the face of pressure or to stay silent when other people are criticizing him. We all know what it's like to dishonor Jesus by how we happen to live our lives. We're all in the same boat. Every single one of us, and that boat is sinking fast, except for Jesus. And don't let your shame keep you away from the only one who could truly forgive and give us hope. And it's easy to think, oh, you don't know what I've done. That's right, I don't know. But I know what I've done, and I know what Peter did here. You know, he has saved his own skin by denying knowing Jesus Christ three different times. He deserted the Master when Jesus needed him the most. But because of Peter's belief in Jesus and who Jesus really is, this is one of the huge things that separates him from Judas, he believed in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior. And Peter realizes somehow that that chapter or that book of his life has not closed. And this realization isn't immediate for Peter, okay? It doesn't happen instantly. It takes some time, but eventually he turns back to Jesus. So you think about Peter and Jesus after the the resurrection. So you got Easter Sunday, right? So it's Easter Sunday night is the first encounter or first interaction between Peter and Jesus. They're all, all the disciples are there. But none of the gospel writers records any kind of conversation between Peter and Jesus. The second encounter is a week later. It's another Sunday night, and they're all together again. Not a word in any of the gospel writers about a conversation between Peter and between Jesus Christ. The third encounter between Peter and Jesus comes a few days later. So Peter and the boys have decided, we're going to go fishing. And so they're about 100 yards out in the lake. They're fishing, and... They're not catching anything. And this guy comes along at the shore and he says, you caught anything? They said, no. He said, cast your nets on the other side. And they catch this huge group of fish. And Peter looks up and he says, it's, it's the master, it's Jesus. And so Peter just dives in the water and swims all the way back to Jesus because he's got to have some time with Jesus Christ. And so John's gospel tells of this encounter where Jesus and Peter finally have this heart-to-heart conversation And here is how it might have gone. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat, and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice, and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there, and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net, and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up, and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord. And you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. Do 
you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. Hey. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster cluck, and I had no idea what that meant, but I do now. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep <laughs> him out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that the, there was an angel there, and the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he is risen. And so, me and John, we hightailed it down there, and if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. So what will you do with your failures? What will I do with my failures? I mean, we all have a choice in what we do. The story of Peter reveals such a crucial truth that our failures are not final, that there are other chapters waiting to be written in our life when we turn back to Jesus. So the real question is this, what would be the next chapter you would like to write in your life, in your book? What, what would that chapter be? What, what would that chapter say? You see, without turning to Jesus, no matter how much work and effort we put into that chapter, it's still going to turn out to be a total failure. But with Jesus... There is always another chapter waiting to be written when we turn back to him. And so today as we think through, you know, so what do I do about this? For some, 
Maybe you're sitting out there and you're thinking, man, I'm really glad I didn't do what Peter did. I mean, that's just an awful kind of thing somebody did. If you find yourself in that boat, it's time to come to the realization that you are in the same boat as Peter. You are a sinner like all of us. It's time to humble yourself and say, Lord, I, I need some help with my pride. For some of you out there, you, you remember those moments are moments when you heard the rooster crow or felt the look of Jesus or something and you realized that that was not a look of condemnation of love and you made a decision to, to turn back to Jesus and it's still a long road for you, right? But maybe today it's like saying, Lord, thank you so much for your mercy and grace and help me to not allow my struggles that continue on even to this day. Right, to overwhelm my understanding of your love. But there's some today that today is the day for you to turn back to Jesus, just to say, Lord, I've been trying a hundred other things to fill my mind and heart, to try to take away whatever that pain happens to be, and I realize I just need to turn back to you today. To just say, Lord, I desperately need you. I know I'm a sinner but I need your love and your mercy and grace. But today my prayer is that we would all write a new chapter in our lives for the Lord because he has set us free. He has bought us back from the enemy by his blood because of his love for us. Let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you for your mercy and grace and forgiveness. I'm so thankful you put the story of Peter in there. And Lord, that we can see the hope that can come because of your mercy and grace and forgiveness for us. So Lord, over these next few moments as we reflect and as we consider what you've done for us, help us to, to be willing to take a step to turn back towards you this day. To just say, Lord, I, I need you and I want you with everything I have, Father. We love you and we thank you for your mercy and your grace. And it's in your most precious name we pray. Amen.